Hey, Sam. Hey, Luke. What's, uh, what's wrong, buddy? I just watched the hit 2004 film Troy starring Brad Pitt and Eric Bana, but I don't know if it's accurate at all. Hey, we've all been there, friend. This has you pretty messed up, huh? Well, I have good news for you. Ah! Jesus! I'm a doctor. Of medicine? Even better, classics. And I have all the answers for your burning questions about myths, ancient Greco-Roman history, and the movies. Where can we get this incredible medicine? Over on the podcast, Greased Lightning. It's on all your favorite podcatchers. It will be the sweet ambrosia of the gods. New episodes every other Monday. Two words to me in three years of Bret Hart Welcome to Hanksy Panksy, a podcast where two dumb idiot best friends fill themselves mind, body, and soul with grainy home movie footage of former, <laughs> former senior associate at Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown, Tom Hanks. I'm Sam Siegel, and I'm one of those dumb idiots. And I am, uh, I didn't come up with a thing for this one. I'm your dedicated partner who is willing to sit by your bedside to the bitter end. I am Lou Patrick. And uh, this week we watched uh, 1993's Philadelphia. Mm. And Luke, hmm. I, I know I normally uh, ask you how your watch was, but I've, I've got some pretty big news this week. Okay. Well, do you want me to ask you how your watch is? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah okay. I'd be honored. Hey, Sam. How was your watch? Well, Luke, um, I'm happy to tell you and our listeners that our long national nightmare is over. Mm-hmm. And... I have finally finished the Cocoa Puffs, and I'm now into the the Chocolate Checks game once again, and God almighty, I'm, I'm so glad we're out of the woods on that one. Yeah, really, you're out of the woods uh, in, in equal amounts uh, from both predicaments. We have emerged. Uh, I know that everybody oh. was extremely worried about your, your cereal situation. Was there another national nightmare that I was mm. not aware of? You know, there was one uh, that we emerged from scant hours ago to part the kimono a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in that we are out of the fucking fascist regime that we were under and are staring down a brilliant new future. Both of us just staring straight into this big, beautiful sun. Oh, and yeah. Sam, I do not want to look away. Oh, never again. Uh, no, I'm I'm barreling the, the future camera on this one. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, so two national nightmares over on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pretty great. Yeah, I'll say that's pretty much the highlight of my watch. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I did watch it this morning. Nice. Um, I was worried about this one. I won't mm. lie because um, I, I had talked about watching it with my mo- with my wife. My wife. My wife, and uh, and she. Uh, read the description of the movie, which I did, was not allowed to read, mm-hmm. and said, "No, I'm I'm good. <laughs> no thanks." And so I've lived in terror for uh, again to to part the kimono two weeks now. Yeah. Uh, and so so we didn't watch it last night. I watched it this morning. The problem is, 
Uh, she woke up around the same time I did, so she was this sort of unwilling participant <laughs> in this movie. She she mostly played The Sims, mm. uh, but she did have to take it in because th- this was the only room that she could be in. So yeah, so she did kind of watch with me, but but otherwise, you know, it was a pretty good watch. And then mere minutes after I finished the watch, I did find out that Joseph Biden. Uh, did win the election, and boy, did that buoy my fucking spirits. Yeah, man, you are really ricocheting from emotion, emotional pole to emotional pole here, having <laughs> yeah. watched this movie and then emerged from the, like a Chilean miner into the sunlight <laughs> to the news that, uh, yes, indeed, the four years of fucking awfulness is uh, theoretically over at this point. Yeah, it was a level of emotional whiplash that nearly broke my neck. mm but it was the best kind. Yeah. So you love to um, hear that kind of. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I'll take what I can get at this point. Nice. So how was your watch? Man, uh, kind of an equal amounts. Uh, definitely been a a strange week and a strange watch. So to further part the kimono, and by this point, I think the kimono is just off. Yeah. There's no kimono any longer. <laughs> As you mentioned. We did take a week off. I have, uh, you know, it's important to be honest about these things and to be out in the open. I have been dealing with some mental health issues. I've been manic for the last, like, two-ish weeks. Um, So I did watch this movie while my brain was on fire. Uh, Did kind of wrap up the day and then dive straight into this. And I got to tell you, man, nothing really quells those restless demon energies uh, like a long movie about a, uh, a man... Struggling for justice and struggling with AIDS. That was just the ticket that my agitated ass needed this week on top of this sphincter-clenching election that we just had. Yeah, Uh, well, uh, you've got uh, a quieted brain and some strong kegels. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely feeling a solid pelvic floor at this point. But, you know, outside of that, it was it was fine. I had a fairly normal watch outside of all of the other uh, circumstances, which it mm-hmm. sounds like uh, was kind of the same for you. Yeah. You know, uh, pretty, pretty typical, uh, which is maybe what we needed uh, mm-hmm. during this sort of tumultuous period. Yeah, for sure. And so I got to ask, it has been a little bit longer. Did you miss Tom? You know, it's strange because, you know, given my circumstances, I theoretically want to miss Tom. In fact, Mm -hmm. I will walk that further and say that I want to miss Tom. And it would have been a nice reprieve from this week to sort of dip into a good old Tom Hanks movie. I think Mm -hmm. Philadelphia just wasn't the right one for this week. Uh, I was sort of looking forward to like, you know, putting on some sunscreen, sitting outside in the bright sun, having a mango smoothie. And uh, this was a lot more of a uh, (laughs) sort of a jigsaw-esque experience so similar levels of catharsis but i did emerge with less butt meat well you know sometimes you don't need all the butt meat (laughs) um you know sometimes you're like this is too much i i could lose some butt meat yeah i am experiencing the intended effect in that i did come to appreciate every every sandwich a little bit more as warren zevon said but uh the the way that we got there (laughs) was not my favorite no no. Well, uh, what about you, my dude? Did you miss Tom this week? A a little bit, yeah. Mm. I I think his his presence again is is semi comforting to me. Uh, I've kind of put off mentioning this on the podcast, but occasionally Tom has begun to infiltrate my dreams, mm. um, which 
I'll be perfectly honest, is not wanted. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to I have to see Tom enough as it is while I'm awake. Sure. Uh, the fact that I do occasionally dream about Tom Hanks now does not speak to a level of mental health that I find <laughs> desirable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you think that this is an actual visitation from Tom Hanks, or this is just your subconscious projecting a a, a situation where you dream of Hanks? Well, fuck, Luke, I didn't think that before, but now I have said some unspeakable things about the man, yeah. and uh, I have created some conspiracies that at times I start to buy into, and so, yep. yeah, fuck, Luke, yeah, no, he's probably visiting me. Yeah, I think you got a Hanks beyond the barricade on that one, sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Freddy he's probably, style. probably begging me to stop talking about his dick and how he's a lizard person. Yeah, but who wants um, to do that? That's kind of our whole brand at this point. I know. Yeah, I've really picked a hill to die on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll say other than that, yeah, I, I did miss him. It's been nice. two weeks. I I needed to see Mr. Hanks again. Mm. Is this how I wanted to see him? No. No, it's yeah. not. But it is. It is. These are the terms. So Yeah. Very true. And, you know, we did get a slightly less smooth Tom this week. And I might actually say that we got kind of a rough Tom this week. I, perhaps the roughest Tom we've seen yet. Oh, yeah. Easily the roughest we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not the roughest we will see. No, probably not. Yeah. Again, the roughening of Tom Hanks will continue throughout this entire experience. Yep. Um, so on that note, uh, could you break down the plot? of 1993's Philadelphia. Yeah, I would be so excited to do that for you, Sam. We're going to try to punch it out real quick with Luke Patrick's patented 3X structure, your money-back guarantee. Here we go. So Philadelphia, for those of you who have not seen it, because we're kind of getting into that territory with his films, uh, begins with Act 1, where Tom Hanks is a partner or vice president, something, an executive, I will say, at a... At, at a law, so I I think he actually is a senior associate at at uh, Wyant. Uh, shit, I wrote it down. Wyant Wheeler <laughs> Hellerman, uh, Tetlow and Brown. Nice. Yeah. So we're we're starting big. Tom is a high powered lawyer, really making waves, and uh, we learn through the beginning bits of Act One that Tom is also gay and has AIDS. Um, and around the same time, we kind of figure this out. So does his law firm. So mm-hmm. his law firm uh, notices someone at the firm notices a sore on his head and then connives the situation in which a complaint is lost and tom is sacked for that um, we're also introduced in the very beginning of this movie through a case that's being litigated uh, to denzel washington's character who is also a lawyer more of an ambulance chaser so they're mm-hmm. competing so we're, we're establishing characters um, Tom gets fired. Uh, we flash forward a couple months to him asking Denzel to represent him in a wrongful termination suit. Denzel turns him down. Go forward a couple more months. We're in a legal research library. Tom is clearly worse for the wear. And it's at this point that Denzel has a bit of a change of heart and decides to take the case. Um, it's kind of the beginning of Act 1. Act 2, we get further into the, this drama as the case actually begins, where Little Rock's own Mary Steenburgen is the opposing counsel representing the law firm and the relationship between Denzel and Tom begins to develop a whole lot. Denzel is at the beginning of this movie, a pretty staunch homophobe and throughout the course of acts two and three, we see him really come to be close to Tom and get over a lot of those hangups. 
Uh, Act three is the resolution of this, where Tom increasingly becomes sicker. The case continues. Denzel grows closer to him. And, uh, yeah, eventually the case is won to the tune of something like $5 million in restitution. And, uh, you know, Sam, I I hate to tell you this, but uh, Tom Hanks' character does, in fact, die at the end of this movie. Yes. Yeah. So uh, not the tonic I was looking for this week. I will preface Mm -hmm. all of our discussion about this by saying that I genuinely believe this is a good movie. Absolutely, it is a genuinely affecting movie, and and one that I came into thinking I wasn't gonna like it, and mm-hmm. and by the end I was nearly crying, and feeling like this was a pretty pretty good movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's well constructed. It's got a really solid message about acceptance, uh, you know, in the workplace specifically, and like as a whole, and the effect that that has on someone who is forced into being ostracized, uh, especially through a sickness like AIDS. It's a good message. Man, I don't know if it's a watch, though. <laughs> yeah. Fuck I, so, me. yeah, I, I don't know that I would recommend it for maybe a couple reasons. I think one is that it is still a deeply problematic film. Yeah. Um, and then... Just from some reading that I had done after the movie, um, it sounds like its portrayals are not all that accurate or mm. particularly wanted. Sure. And and so I I saw a lot of uh, like kind of I guess a- HIV activists I I don't know the right word um, sure. uh, have been I c- colder on the film mm. uh, than I think a lot of people did. However, I, I do think to a degree it is commendable in how it portrays um, AIDS. Yeah. Uh, in, in, I think, is a socially realistic light. I think mm. maybe not medically, but as far as like this, the sort of ostracism um, that, that people uh, living with AIDS dealt with and still deal with. Yeah. Uh, I think that was needed especially coming out of the 80s when the official government policy was ignore it and let loads of people die for no reason yeah 100 percent. which which does really echo 2020s the federal government ignoring a, a a very infectious disease that is killing a lot of people um and and sickening hundreds of thousands more yeah uh, if not millions more at this point so so definitely some corollaries there. Yeah. Uh, and and it it is it's a hard watch. Mm-hmm. Yep. As evidenced by the last uh three minutes of this podcast. You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for going on and on about that. Nah, dude. These are good thoughts. Let me take a hard right turn and talk about Mary Steenburgen. Because <laughs> um our listeners don't actually know this. So a few years ago, I actually worked as a concierge at a, at a high-end hotel here in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And uh, Mary and Ted Danson uh, occasionally stayed at the hotel. And I would just like to tell everyone, they were fucking wonderful. Mm, man, you love to hear that about people that you, you suspect yeah. of being good people. They were so nice. Uh, they never like bothered anyone. They never complained. They were super sweet. They would leave like a ton of money 
and mm-hmm. uh, and saying like, hey, just split this amongst everyone who worked while we were here. And so we would all get a, a pretty respectable tip, which I can't imagine how much money they would leave because mm. if each one of us got a decent sized tip out of that. In any case, they were lovely people. Nice. Um, and I, I did actually read that Mary Steenburgen hated this part. Mm. Now, see, uh, that I can relate to because, man, she acts the shit out of it, as does everybody in this film. But definitely a hard part to, uh, yeah. you know, what's my what's my role in this? Well, you're going to be the opposition uh, to a man <laughs> suing essentially for social justice. And you're going to be defending these shitbags uh, on yeah. the opposite side of the courtroom for this. Yeah. And uh, and so there's a line in the movie where she kind of says, like, under her breath, like, I hate this case. Mm-hmm. That was ad libbed. Ooh, and man. Uh, uh, the director was like, no, fucking absolutely. You keep that energy going. Yeah, I will say this for the film. I mean, it's definitely a downer in a dramatic sense. But, you know, there are a lot of little moments like that, like the opposition saying under her breath, I hate this. Uh, and then I think at the end of the movie, she also says something like, well, we'll wait a bit to to do the appeal. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's little glimmers of hope and then. Uh, you know Tom Hanks' relationship with Antonio Banderas, a young, lithe, extremely attractive God. Antonio Banderas. So young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's truly heartwarming. There's there's some really nice upbeat moments in this. It's not all sickness and uh, social injustice for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's some some very fun moments in it, like the the costume. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, the costume party. Yeah. Uh, that was really fun. Um, I loved the the uh, guy who was who was in Mona Lisa uh, mm-hmm. costume. That was really great. Holding the face the entire time, the uh, enigmatic perfect. smile. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely perfect. Um, yeah, there's there's some really good stuff. I do I do want to note in that la- like law library scene, I guess mm-hmm. that Denzel um, is eating a sandwich mm-hmm. that looks very soggy can you agree with me that it looks like an extremely soggy sandwich yeah i hadn't thought about it too much until you mentioned it but i can picture the sandwich perfectly my dude it's a soggy bottom for sure and and i gotta tell you fully fucked up on this one because it was the crunchiest bite i have ever heard in a movie just pure just I don't know if that's coming across at all, but it's just this deeply crunchy bite. Yeah, the man's um, eating a meatball sub, and they gave us, like, uh, you know, a Frito pie experience. There's a yeah, lot of crunch involved. It's like it was just potato chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it it does cut to Tom Hanks being, like, ostracized for having AIDS. And then it does slowly zoom back in on Denzel Washington, mouth still full of sandwich, and I mm-hmm. did get a good laugh out of that. Hey, dude, I wrote in my notes that I would watch Denzel Washington chew literally anything. <laughs> I think this is my new kink. It's just a Twitch live stream of Denzel just mukbang style, just eating stuff. Yeah, put, putting the bang in mukbang. <laughs> Let's see. I, would you, maybe this is too early for it, but would you like some IMDb facts brought to you by McKenna? Man, I was very afraid that when you said she wasn't going to watch this with you that we wouldn't get these so my dude i'm so ready for these okay uh because i've got kind of a lot Mm. um let's see so daniel day lewis michael keaton william baldwin tim robbins and and andy garcia 
all were offered the role of Andy Beckett, Tom Hanks's character. Holy shit. This is like peering into the Marvel multiverse. Like I'm seeing yeah. just wholly separate universes where everything is different. Yeah, so Daniel Day-Lewis turned it down for another movie called, like, In the Name of the Father, or mm. some shit. Uh, and I believe Michael Keaton turned it down for another movie where he also played a terminally ill character. Uh, mm. The others? I don't know. Who knows? You know, it just wasn't in the cards uh, in this universe. This is nuts, because, I mean, this isn't our podcast. Uh, it's not our flavor, but can you imagine fucking Daniel D up in this business? Yeah. The problem is, would he have gone full method for this? Oh, he would have 100%, my friend. (laughs) So his career would have been shorter. (laughs) Uh, Because I assume if Daniel Day-Lewis is in a movie where his character dies, Daniel Day-Lewis will die. Yeah, I mean, we don't have proof against it. Uh, Mm, Yeah. So that seems fair. Well, what other facts do you have about this before I get lost uh, in some some butterfly effect nonsense here? Uh, John Leguizamo was originally offered the role for uh, Miguel and turned it down. So we got uh, the smoothest Antonio Banderas you've ever seen in your life. Just a smokescreen everywhere he goes. Yeah. The close-ups, like the extreme close-ups that this movie uh, really traffics in, especially early on. Mm-hmm. Are apparently a trademark of the director Jonathan mm. Demi. Dem. Gotcha. This is Denzel Washington's last role as a supporting actor. Damn. Well, hey, good for Denzel because the dude acted the shit out of this. I mean, you yeah. don't like his character a lot at the beginning, thanks to all of the slurs and sort of homophobic activity. But you know what? He really sold this transition out of that oh, yeah. for me. Yeah. He, he did a very good job. And mm-hmm. he is an excellent actor. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, while we're on the subject of Denzel's character, uh, you know, I got to say, one of the other things I liked about this movie was the fact that his entire point in being in this movie is essentially to show you how fucked up toxic masculinity is. Yes. Like, his whole character progression is not only emerging, you know, out of the dank cave that is homophobia, but also to, like, realize that, hey, I can emote and give a shit about stuff. Like, there's a scene yes. where... Uh, you know, they're listening to opera and he's I think he's crying as well, but Tom Hanks is definitely crying and he's he's figuring out that it's okay to, you know, have emotions and mm-hmm. talk about stuff. And uh I have a new bit for you, a very small bit, Sam. Oh, okay. Which is Nausea Report with Luke Patrick. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so you will know and the listeners now will know that I am a weak ass motherfucker when it comes to any sort of spinning uh, I can't do amusement park rides, that kind of thing. And I did get a little bit nauseous during the opera scene uh, when they're spinning around Tom's fucking face. I did. It was a lot of camera spinning and weird angles. Yeah, I had to look away like I was 12 years old at the IMAX again, my friend. It was bad. Oof. Well, uh, thank <laughs> God that scene didn't go on for an extremely long period of time. Yeah, thank God we didn't listen to an entire aria. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know... That's my tangent, Sam. I would still love some more IMDb facts. Okay. Tom had to lose uh, around 30 pounds Mm. for certain scenes in this movie. And Denzel actually had to gain a little weight. And so uh, as Tom was starving himself, apparently on set, Denzel would just eat chocolate bars right in front of him. (laughs) Holy shit, man. These are the facts I wanted right here. Yeah. 
hold on, there was one other. There's that, yeah. Uh, and that's that's actually all that Kenna brought. There were some others, but, mm. you know, since this is brought to us by McKenna, um, I'm going to leave it there. Okay, that seems fair. I mean, we don't want it to, you know, step on the toes of our sources here. Right. Yeah, that seems fair. So, uh, I do also want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to clock what Tom was typing on the computer early on in the movie at 10.15 p.m.? I believe it just said something about a case. Am I mistaken about that? It read, and I quote, the existence, spelled incorrectly, Mm. of a relationship giving access directly or indirectly to information intended to be available only for a corporate purpose and not the personal benefit of anyone. The inherent unfairness involved when a party takes advantage of such information, request case 1950 to present, banks, interference, damages. Hmm. I don't know. I it, Does it bring anything to the party? Who knows? <laughs> Is that anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's something. Uh, I do also, there was another part where mm-hmm. Denzel Washington is talking about food and, uh, and a bologna sandwich versus another meal. And I wanted to, to get your temperature on how you would want this other meal, which was, uh, in order, caviar, champagne, roast duck, baked Alaska. Hmm. Okay, so what are you, what are you asking of me right now? W- would you like that meal? Uh, and read them to me one more time. Sorry, I'm really trying to process this. Caviar, uh-huh. champagne, roast duck, baked Alaska. Okay, so we have some complicating factors, which is that Mm -hmm. one of these things I cannot consume being champagne. Historically, not the biggest fan of caviar either, nor am I of ducks. So, Sam, I think baked Alaska is the only thing on this menu uh, that's that's rocking it for me. Honestly, I'd probably eat the bologna sandwich dad style, just hunched over the sink. Yeah, and, you know, Denzel's offering it up, so it's going to look soggy, but be very crunchy (laughs) somehow. (laughs) I will totally take a mysteriously soggy yet crunchy sandwich in this scenario yeah i just thought it was a weird meal because there are no like sides Mm -hmm. and then like from roast duck to baked baked alaska that's a you're gonna break your neck yeah man that whiplash is severe this is also sort of like a paleo version of fine dining like you're right there's no side salad here Ain't, ain't no space for that kind of clean living we're just gonna bounce from salt to greasy fried fatness, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and then we're just gonna rebound all the way into some baked Alaska. That's a buck wild list of things. Yeah, your gut will not be okay after mm-hmm. that meal. But the bologna sandwich, okay, depending on the age of the bologna sandwich, <laughs> uh, you your gut will also not be okay. But God, there will be less of it. Yeah, extremely true. Hey, I have one quick fire thought for you. Uh huh. So the head lawyer, I think he is, maybe one of the founders. Uh, uh, Wheeler, Chuck? yeah. Is that his name? Wheeler. Okay, yeah. Um, he has the grossest face I have ever seen. And we do just a real big zoom in. And I don't mean that his face itself is gross. Just like the presentation in this movie is just like a big wet catcher's mitt. And uh, did not appreciate that. Yeah. So I noticed that at the very beginning of this movie, I was like, I don't know if the movie is trying to set these people up as the bad guys or if I just have a now innate distrust of rich old white men. (laughs) Um, But boy, oh boy, that whole scene, I was like, nah, fuck these guys. Something's not right. Yeah, they really set them up. And I I think the presentation was part of it. 
another quick fire thought I have for you real quick is that mm-hmm. uh, I forgot to mention that through my headphones and my fancy audio processing software that I use on my laptop, which is how I consume this movie, I did start it with about a half a second delay. And I watched it this way, Sam, for probably 30 to 40 minutes oh, before God. I thought to turn off the audio processing. And I got to tell you, it uh, does make the movie more interesting. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Holy shit. That's going to yeah. add some interesting mustard. Yeah, it was hard to parse. And again, I it took me embarrassing long, embarrassingly long to figure out uh, that I was watching it sort of kung fu movie style where the lips did not match the words. <laughs> uh, can I hit you with some uh, with some quick fire thoughts? Hell yeah, dude. Okay. Um, so in the movie, they were implying that um, uh, there was uh, the, the one guy with the big glasses who mm-hmm. had worked with someone who had had AIDS before. Yeah. I don't know which one he was, and I frankly don't give a shit. Sure. Um, he was talking about how he was uh, in the Navy and that mm. there was a gay guy who was in the Navy with them. Right. And and that he would flaunt around in the nude and that he and the other uh, seamen were, were pretty disgusted by it. And frankly, I can't figure that out at all because the... The show later shows him and the other partners and Tom Hanks in a, like, fancy-ass country club where they're just naked, saggy dudes all over the fucking place, and he's just totally chill with it. Yeah. But uh, he also talks about this horrible thing that he did with that gay guy in the Navy. Uh, But he says latrine, and I did read that actually in the Navy they would call it the head. (laughs) Um, So that is a... A breaking point, I think, for me in this movie, the historical accuracy on this mm-hmm. is clearly very yeah. slapshot. You can't trust it. An- another fact, or uh, yeah. just kind of quick hit idea here. So you know how uh, when Tom first goes to Denzel's uh, office and is asking mm-hmm. him for help and he like puts his cap down after he says that he has AIDS, he puts his cap down and he touches some stuff and it's these like close-in shots of like yeah. everything he's touched and then like Denzel like clearly has kept track of which hand shook Tom's hand. Mm-hmm. I have never in my life seen a more accurate depiction <laughs> of what I, a certified germaphobe, am experiencing during this highly infectious pandemic mm. because that is what I do every day. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, someone gets it. You hate to see it presented in this context, but my dude, was it uh, cathartic at all to sort of oh see my God. your brainwaves uh, converted into cinema? Because I, I turned to, to my wife and I said, that, I do that. That's me. <laughs> not, not with people with AIDS, obviously, but yeah. uh, right now, everyone. Yeah. Um, well, that's nice. Boy. I'm glad you could get a moment of uh, you know recognition out of this film in an unexpected way. Oh, it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I... Oh, okay. So, um, while they're in that, that, that like, fancy-ass sauna, country club place, whatever, mm-hmm. um, they tell a, a deeply offensive uh, joke about gay people that, that I won't repeat here. Mm-hmm. But there was part of this that I had a quibble with. Mm, okay, um, hit me. Well, it's talking about a... a a faked ejaculate and mm. that you could fake an ejaculate with a quart of hot yogurt <laughs> and Luke a quart. 
And what you're saying, this isn't uh, your normal experience, Sam, just, you know, losing all of your bodily fluids. <laughs> I wrote, how much does this soggy old bigot nut? Because <laughs> Luca Court is a lot. Yeah, that's certifiably too much, I think. In every Holy situation. shit. He's, he's got to go to a new house after he comes. <laughs> if, he's, if he's nutting a full court each yeah. time, you can't live in the same house again. Hopefully you're not measuring your ejaculate in Ben and Jerry's sizes. This seems pretty horrible now that I'm thinking about it. I had to pause the movie. I was like, that's, that's too much. You should see a doctor. Oh, yeah. I mean, this man has a lot of problems, both uh, sort of in his his views and everything else he's got going on. But I would dare say this maybe should be flagged as potentially the you know highest priority issue to get checked out for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I did. I did just unearth uh, the final IMDb fact brought to you by McKenna. Oh, nice. Well, hit me with that. The home movies at the end of the movie. Mm hmm. That's that's Tom Hanks. Holy shit, dude! I wondered about that. Yeah, we have now seen the youngest Tom Hanks that that has ever been put to film. We've now seen the smoothest possible Hanks. Yeah. Holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah. Also, we saw way too many of them because fucking hell, that last bit went on forever. But it is now kind of worth it. Yeah. So so those are kind of my quick hits. Uh, mm. I had some other stuff with some some real real angry thoughts about uh, these old white motherfuckers. Yeah, that's um, fair. And how they're societal poison uh, still yeah. are today. Yep, uh, yep. But uh, you know, uh, how about instead we take a little jaunt over to the Hanks Bank? Yeah, that sounds excellent. Luke, uh, would you like to tell our listeners about our new friend this week? Mm, I really would. And uh, for those who may be new to the podcast, this is a segment where we just pick a person and take a deep dive into whatever they got going on. So our friend, I believe this week, we decided the same person uh, without having to discuss it is the the head juror in this case. Is that correct? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is a man for context. We see him on screen for a about a minute as they begin deliberations and he says a thing about you know just explain this to me uh, like I'm a six-year-old which is the thing Denzel's character says all the time why you know they would put this man on the biggest case they've ever had if he was a shitty lawyer because it's like sending in you know you've got a really important air force mission and you send in a rookie to take care of the job versus sending in you know your top trained let's say goose-esque uh, Top Gun style pilot and it just doesn't make sense and the way he says it is very it's very clear he seems mm-hmm. on top of it he's educating he's kind of talking like this he's telling people you know to really think about stuff and my dude he grabbed me from the get go with this uh, buck wild scenario and the way he was talking about it do you you have any thoughts about our new friend anything sticking out to you yeah, um, first of all, I do I do think it's important to introduce him to our listeners here by name, and his name mm. is Percival. Oh, um, shit, that's a good name. Yeah, Percival Reginaldson. 
Um, and <laughs> less good. That's kind of a mouthful, <laughs> Percival Reginaldson. Look, you, you can't choose your last name or yeah. really technically your first, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, he's um, interestingly enough, he actually has a background in the military. Oh shit! Like the character or the actor, or is there a difference? The, the character. Okay, well that would make some sense yeah. given the context he gave us. Now, what what kind of military experience are we talking here, bud? So you know, in the movie, he talks about planes a mm-hmm. lot, and he talks about uh, you know, like an important uh, you know, mission, plane based mission. Yeah. And uh, what's really curious about that is that he was actually in the Coast Guard. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So sort of punching above his weight uh, in, in terms of overseas conflict missions. But you know what? Hey, the Coast Guard's a great branch. Um, sure, yeah. And they was, do important work. Yeah, he was in the armed services. If you're trying to convince a group of people uh, that you know you wouldn't put your best person or like someone you're not sure about on your most important mission, you don't have a single-person boat mission, Luke. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, you don't want to put someone behind the wheel of this boat who uh, doesn't know how to drive. You know what? I see I see what you're saying. Yeah, the stakes aren't that high. How do you think he ended up in the Coast Guard? I got some, some thoughts, but uh, you got oh, any yeah. sweet nuggets? No, you tell me how he got in the Coast Guard. Okay, well, you know, this is set in D.C.? Or where Philadelphia. are we? Philadelphia. <laughs> God damn it. You're, you're pretty close. Oh, you're fuck, pretty close. It's a, it's, a, it's a short train <laughs> ride away. God damn it. Oh. <laughs> fuck me running. <laughs> they go to all this effort to name the bloody movie. Exactly where it's set, and I can't even give it the time of day. Holy <laughs> shit. Okay, hang on, let's reset. No, 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 <laughs> we're keeping all of this, Luke. Oh no, this isn't being edited. I just think we need to take a step back, and then I will take another stab at this. Um, I ran for the train and completely missed it. Not only did I try to jump onto it, but I fell onto the third rail, so I'm going to just get up okay <laughs> so we're in philadelphia mm-hmm. as the name of the movie implies <laughs> and uh percival so i don't think he's from the big city i think he's from <laughs> somewhere out in like uh you know somewhere in the sticks of pennsylvania and generally speaking was a pretty normal kid growing mm-hmm. up um maybe he was on the football team not a quarterback but you know a real stand-up dude and then uh you know he hit uh, hit a certain age i think given his age this was the 90s we might be looking at the vietnam war oh maybe? yeah i think yeah so. and i think he wanted to you know support his country and join the armed forces but uh he's extremely terrified of planes he's never flown a day in his life so that's no. out um, you know, he's actually kind of terrified of land. He, he actually prefers to sort of be at elevation at all times, which is why the okay. courthouse is great, because he's on a second story. Um, gotcha. So really, the only thing left uh, was boats, but the Navy, you know, that's, that's going pretty far, and there's going to probably be some new land on the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> yeah, going to port would be pretty rough. So really just sort of left the Coast Guard where he can stay. 
you know, in a nice, comfortable environment. And then sometimes he's on a boat and that's fine. Yeah. Interestingly, so he was presented with the opportunity to to work on a nuclear submarine in the Navy. Mm. But he said, no, 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 that's too low now. (laughs) (laughs) He's got got a real sort of narrow range where he's comfortable. He likes that thermostat set to 73 degrees exactly is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Well, that makes um, sense. Well, what what do you think he uh, what do you think he's been doing since the Coast Guard? So since the Coast Guard, I think he has uh, gotten into balcony gardening. Hmm. Because uh, he's always wanted to have a garden, but again, he is very scared to be on sea level. Yeah, well, sea level. I, a I guess technically not sea level, but ground level. <laughs> Dirt sea level is fine. Two. Yeah. <laughs> so so he's real scared of that. So he's he's always got to be in like a building. Mm-hmm. On a on a higher floor, and he can't he can't do a rooftop garden that's too high. Again, yeah. you know he's got to be right right at seventy three. So he's been getting into <laughs> uh, balcony gardens. Nice. Um, and so he he quietly you know uh, tills the soil. He listens to predominantly bluegrass music while mm-hmm. he does this. Nice. Big bluegrass fan. You wouldn't believe it from the name, but his family hails from Kentucky. Oh. Of all places, and so it really brings him back home to to the the foothills of Kentucky, yeah. Um, which he can never actually set foot on, <laughs> <laughs> ironically enough. Yeah, they're also too too low or too high. I don't know enough about the foothills yeah. of Kentucky, but they're definitely not <laughs> in the middle on that one. Yeah, no, definitely a bad zone for him to be in. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, just tilling away. Uh, uh, yeah. We're working on that garden, getting some some fresh herbs and vegetables. Yeah. Um, some nice flowers. I dig it. He's got a family. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't. He's not able to spend much time with them because they do go down to the <laughs> to the nasty place, is what he calls it. Yeah. Um, but that we makes just sense. call it the ground. You know, this is. I'm loving this analysis because I feel like that's the kind of calm, soothing, uh, very analytical you know, presentation that he's bringing to this, this jury decision. Mm-hmm. Cause this is a man who's lived his entire life straight down the middle, having to navigate the highs and lows of everything yep. uh, all the time. And uh, he'd be so good at just, uh, and he is so good in this movie. It's sort of keeping things you know, right in the middle, just that Goldilocks, like right, right where it should be. Cause this is a man who, who rocks it steady a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, and and I think I think kind of the the rest of his life sort of bears that out. Mm. Um, I think you know he he kind of keeps chilling out, and and eventually um, he decides, you know what, this is this is still too difficult um, mm. living on a on an upper story because he can only take a double decker bus places, <laughs> um, and it's it's just really difficult for him. So he does decide to to live a life on the sea. With mm. uh, with his family, um, most of them don't come with him. Actually, yeah. uh, they his children are grown, and they they said, "Dad, please, God, no." Yeah, um, there's not enough Dramamine in the world. You know yeah. that I'm horribly carsick. Uh, a boat sounds horrifying. He's he's actually pretty disappointed in um, in his daughter because she becomes a pilot. Mm. Um, yeah, you hate to hear it, that. It just it feels like a betrayal. So mm-hmm. he lives kind of a, a lonely life on the sea. Uh, there was sort of one inkling though at at his future, and that was um, actually in in the scene where he's in the room with the jury while they're deliberating. There's a notebook next to him with an NRA sticker on it. 
Oh no! So yeah. this is an interesting angle on our friend. I do think our our friend was a member of the NRA, but this is a holdover from his time in the Coast Guard. So when he does live a life on sea, I th- I think he's trying to operate as sort of a secondary Coast Guard. <laughs> so you're thinking that, you know, later in life, our friend becomes sort of a floating libertarian prepper, a one man <laughs> militia with a dinghy. Uh, that he calls his house (laughs) and he's out here patrolling the coast just looking for people infringing his second amendment rights I I wanna because he's our friend I don't think we would befriend someone with that sort of attitude yeah I I think it's more noble I think he is defending the sea from an encroachment of the land Mm, almost sort of an environmental cause. Maybe he's out here yes. making sure that there's enough red snapper and lobster in the bays. Uh, yeah, kind of an inverse pirate. He doesn't want to take anything. He just wants right. to leave vast amounts of fish booty in the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think maybe he was driven to the sea um, by the NRA's increased radicalization. Mm. And so he said, I no, no yeah. longer. This world is not for me. Yeah, I um, think there probably is a, a emotional temperature aspect to this, too, and that got too hot for him. Yes, you know, he needs, absolutely. He needs it right in that 72, 73 range. And and so he, exactly, and so he lives the rest of his life um, on the sea, waiting uh, to defend the sea from the land. Yeah. And, you know, I think he, I, th- I think he did a good job. Yeah, well, that's good. Some may argue too, too good a job, because we are facing a situation where this you know uh let's just keep it nice and mild uh just like percival <laughs> would have wanted and yeah he just just sort of drifted away yeah i think that sea. seems fair yeah drifted out towards uh towards cuba one day and just never never came back well sam i love that breakdown and i think we've absolutely nailed uh you know from what we saw in the text i think all this seems extremely accurate to yeah. who who percival is what was his last name again? Reginaldson. Oh, Percival Reginaldson. Fuck, that's hard to say. <laughs> it is. It is a mouthful. Do you, Percival Reginaldson, take? Uh... <laughs> oh, can you imagine uh, when he was in the in the Coast Guard? Percival Reginaldson, report for duty. <laughs> it was actually him that had to do extra push-ups if the drill sergeant fucked up his name. <laughs> exactly. Percival, Percival, fuck, give me 20. <laughs> and fuck your parents. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Now, let's look ahead, Luke. Mm, yes, to please. To next week. Yeah. Uh, next week, we will be watching 1994's Forrest Gump. And, man, this is a big moment. We are really starting to climb Mount Tom Hanks. We've been at base camp for 17 mm-hmm. weeks now. How does it feel? It feels like a very long time. <laughs> um, Accurate. Yep. I, I, it feels, I'm scared, quite mm. honestly, because, Luke, you've seen Forrest Gump, right? I absolutely have seen it several times. I've never seen it. Yeah, we're dipping into that bucket, you know, now that we're kind of here, it's, you know, probably a good idea to let the listeners know that from here on out, I have seen pretty much the majority of Tom Hanks' big films, and Sam, weirdly, has seen The Terminal, and uh, what else? Apollo 13, Toy Story, I've seen a handful of them, but definitely not as many as you would expect. 
Yeah, it's very strange that you out you were out here like Neo, just dodging bullets mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> your whole life. Well, Sam, I'm excited to hear what you think is happening in Forrest Gump. Okay, again, I will give my fully honest opinion mm-hmm. of what I think this movie is about from what I have gleaned from the zeitgeist yeah, i guess this one's out there in the cultural you know it's in the cultural knowledge so through osmosis yeah. what have you what have you gained okay so it starts off on a bad foot because it is tom hanks playing someone with an intellectual disability so we're yes. already not on good footing mm-hmm. uh, this character whose name is Forrest Gump, to my knowledge <laughs> um somehow interacts with every famous person and event from like 1969 to like 1980 Mm -hmm. um and meets like richard nixon and he goes to vietnam and he learns about shrimp there's (laughs) running involved and quite honestly i do not know what the running is about yeah there's a there's a bench and i believe he fucks (laughs) (laughs) there's a woman named jenny yeah but but luke i can't figure out what the fuck ties it all together i have these little bits and bobs that sound like they're from completely different fucking movies yeah and yet somehow it's all in one and i'm very confused and i'm frankly very scared yeah i love the idea that you're staring at a buffet but you have yet to figure out what kind of restaurant you're in (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly it (laughs) holy shit you're seeing various courses but they don't make any sense well dude i am so stoked for you to see this movie next week and it has been probably 10 years since i last saw it and things you know have definitely changed in our climate so we'll uh you know be digging into some of that in our own twisted sort of way um but damn, dude, it's going to be pretty great, and it is going to involve a shitload of crustaceans. So I would All uh, right. advise you bring a bib for that one. I'll, I'll do what I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, in the meantime, folks, uh, why don't you check us out on Facebook at Hanksy Panksy Podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at Hanksy Panksy or Instagram at Hanksy Panksy Pod. Uh, you can email us at hanksypanksypod at gmail.com. Please, we would love to, to see your, your reviews, your thoughts on uh, Tom Hanks's uh, conspiracies, uh, all of it. And, uh, and I also want to give a shout-out to uh, Ryan Boyd for our kick-ass fucking intro music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at RyanDroyd, D-R-O-Y-D. Uh, so, uh, and, and one other note. Uh, just on a on a kind of serious note, I uh, just want to put it out there that uh, while while Joe Biden has won the election, the work is not done. Mm-hmm. And to our, I believe, one listener in Georgia, I swear <laughs> to fucking Christ, if you don't vote in the Senate runoff elections for a Democrat, we'll find you. Yeah, we have your IP address. Yes, maybe. Yeah. Uh, on that note. Luke, do you have our final quote? (laughs) After threatening our listeners? Yeah, I do. And it's, Iris, 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 Iris. (laughs) Which was shouted by Denzel Washington at, you guessed it, Iris. A national treasure. (laughs)
Well, folks, uh, thank you again for listening to another episode of Hanksy Panksy, and we'll be back next week with 1994's Forrest Gump. No oh, one's unearthing that toy before its its soul leaves it. Yeah, this um, is why they're so afraid of dogs, because that's all a dog wants to do is fucking yes. tear you up and then Holy bury you shit. in the backyard. Yeah, Abs- fuck, yes, absolutely. And uh, so I think actually what Woody did was an attempted murder because mm. his point was to push him out the window into some bushes where he would never be found again. Yes. Yes, you're totally right. The goodwill, <laughs> the natural goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. Oh, shit. Okay. That, I feel a lot better having ironed out some of those details. I have other nitty gritty questions, but my friend, I think we'll have to dig into them when we return to the Toyverse uh, with Toy Story 2 and possibly with Toy Story 3 for some of these deeper hitting, uh, you know, questions about murder in the afterlife. But I, I appreciate your insights. I think we really nailed it down. Oh, I'm happy to help. Can I actually ask one question? Oh, yeah. We aren't out of the Toyverse yet, sir. I'm still, uh, you know, mobile for now. But if anybody looks at me, I'm going to fall over. When when did they come to life? See, this was another question I was going to fucking ask you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Buzz seems to not be alive until he's out of his packaging. So is it not that yes. they're, are they not alive until they leave their packaging? And if, I they, think, if they don't, Sam... Think about the alternative. Holy shit. I I think I think it has to be once the packaging is opened, mm. they come to life. Because otherwise, again, our definition of death mm-hmm. is that they are not played with long enough. And if you sit on the back of the shelf at Walmart for way too long, you're dead. <laughs> that or you were never alive. I like the idea that once you've opened the package and someone begins to play with you, um, that, you know. That it... That Luke, 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 a, a, a lost wayward soul sucks into your body, mm-hmm. and 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 then you come to life. Yeah, it's sort of like there. It's the concept of like a deity, uh, in some occult sim- uh, systems where like the more attention and focus is paid towards their entity, the more they are alive. Like until they are mm-hmm. seen, they're like quantum entities. Like until they are observed, they're inert. Jesus. Okay. I have one final question. Yeah, yeah, hit me. When they when they come to life, do they believe their own fiction? Clearly at see, least yeah. We see Buzz believe his own fiction, but other, all the other toys don't, but I wonder if that's because they've been alive for so long. Mm. Yeah, I think we're gonna need more data. So I'm punting on this one for now cuz I kind of want to say it's a matrix situation where mm. somebody has to red pill them before they realize. Okay. So, like, maybe there was a time when Mr. Potato Head thought he was... Well, see, this is where it gets weird, Sam, because Mr. Potato Head doesn't have a fiction. He's just a Mr. Potato Head. He doesn't have a fiction, you're <laughs> right. <laughs> but does that mean that Bo Peep or Woody or the T-Rex, like, they clearly exhibit things about themselves that, like, the T-Rex tries to be scary, so... Huh. Fuck, dude. This one's this is a twisted ass knot you've just thrown onto the table and said solve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess when when Tom gets too close and has to be put under by Atar again, yeah. we'll we'll find out. 
Yeah, I look forward to that. Not for Tom's sake. That sounds pretty horrifying, but excited to return to the Toyverse for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, but until then, uh, Luke, next week, mm-hmm. we're watching 1996's That Thing You Do. Mm, another oh. rom-com, Sam. Are you prepared? I am not. Uh, mm. And actually, I said it wrong. It's That Thing You Do. <laughs> it does have an exclamation point. I believe this is also our first Playtone production, which is Tom Hanks's own production company, but don't quote me on that. Probably not executive producer Steve Jobs either. Okay. Uh, so have you seen That Thing You Do? That Thing You Do. I have seen this movie, Sam. Okay. I have not. Mm. And, uh, well, I'm really curious now to hear what you think That Thing You Do is about. Okay. So, so I am going to to actually guess what I think this movie is legitimately about. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Um, I, Jesus, I, frankly, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> until you said it, I didn't, I didn't know that it was a rom-com. Mm, yeah, that, um, that does add some flavor to it. I believe, from what I remember, I'm pretty sure this is also a Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan adventure as well. So does that add any it? flavor to this for you? Okay. Yeah, okay. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are in the same improv troupe. Mm-hmm. And they fall in love because they have the they're in a they're given a scene where they, they fuck they have to go on a date on a, in hey, a show. Real quick, I did fuck it up. It is not Meg Ryan. I believe it's Liv Tyler. So <laughs> whatever uh copy and paste. Yeah, yeah. Uh um yeah, so so they're in a an improv troupe and they're given the prompt to be on a date and they find out that they're in love with each other. Mm-hmm. But they have uh a rocky patch, the you know, quintessential rom com rocky patch. Sure, sure. Where um they can't stand how they yes and each other. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's and a theory. Yeah, frankly, the name does not help me at all. Mm-hmm. So, fuck, I don't, I don't know what this is going to be. Yeah, well, I'm excited for you to experience this because it's going to be a wild time. And I, I think our first genuinely good rom-com. So I'm super stoked and I'm very excited to hear how angry you're going to be. Ooh, okay. Well, let's look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, folks, uh, you can check us out on Instagram at HanksyPanksyPod. You can find us on Inst- uh, Facebook at HanksyPanksyPodcast. You can find us on Twitter at HanksyPanksy. And you can find us on, uh, you can email us uh, at Gmail uh, with uh, uh, at uh, HanksyPanksyPod at gmail.com. I don't know why I fucked it up so much this time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, send us your, your thoughts, your reviews, your, your opinions about Atar and Tom and their, their endless battle with each other. Um, I also wanted to give a shout out to Ryan Boyd for our incredible intro music. Uh, you can find them, uh, on Twitter at Ryan Droid, D-R-O-Y-D. And Luke, do you have a final quote for us? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, this one is from about halfway in the movie and it is, You! R A Toy <laughs> Trying to trying to get him to to stop believing his own fiction 
which toys may or may not do god <laughs> we're in a real mess now yeah <laughs> uh, thanks thanks for listening to another episode of hanksy panksy and we'll be back next week with 1996's that thing you do